Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. You're here because you want to learn about how to live a healthier life, how to live more sustainably, how to take your everyday actions and make them work for you and the planet. Sometimes it might feel like you've got this figured out and other times you probably feel lost. That's why I'm here. Together, we will learn how to live happier, healthier lives without the need to be perfect and always allowing space for a little cluelessness on this journey to living a more conscious life. Today on the podcast, I talk to Sabs Katz. Sabs is a Brooklyn-based advocate of conscious, intentional, and holistic living. She is also the co-founder of Intersexual Environmentalists. She has long inspired me, and I know she will do the same for you. This podcast is supported by Who Gives a Crap? Who Gives a Crap is an eco-friendly toilet paper company that donates 50% of its profits to help ensure everyone has access to clean water and a toilet within our lifetime. Who Gives a Crap has donated almost 8 million U.S. dollars to nonprofit organizations who help provide clean water and toilets all over the world. Who Gives a Crap is delivered straight to your door with carbon-neutral delivery. I love that it comes that way. I don't have to think about it. It's an automatic subscription, and I want you to try it. You can check out Who Gives a Crap and get $10 off your first order over $54 with the code CARLY10. That's C-A-R-L-Y-10, or check out the link in the show notes. The podcast is called Consciously Clueless, and that came from this place of me being like, man, sometimes you feel like you totally have this whole life thing figured out, and then other times you have no freaking clue what's going on and everything in between, and that's all valid. Where are you feeling right now in this moment on a scale of clueless to consciousness, whatever that means to you? I would say I am almost too conscious. (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) Um, I think one thing that has been taking up a lot of space in my mind right now is just like the news and thinking about anti-Semitism as, you know, a Jewish person. And so I think that is kind of the overload of information has led to the too conscious of things. It would maybe be better if I distance myself a little bit from the news cycle and the comment sections that are just like so... (laughs) terrifying yes um but yeah so I I think if anything I'm I'm, you know working on setting better boundaries with consuming media social media culture all that kind of stuff (laughs) yeah good for you that makes a lot of sense so when you go on your website it says environmentalist vegan and Jewess and I'm curious if, since you just you know mentioned all of the terrifying anti-Semitism going on, uh, specifically in our country, but in the world, I'm curious if that was always something you had on there, or if that is something you intentionally added later, if you wanted to chat about that. Yeah, I thank you for asking. I actually didn't always have it. And frankly, I didn't even really stop and start. Frankly, I didn't even really start talking about my Jewish culture until probably a couple years ago. So okay. I content creation for the last, I want to say six plus years. And it, it never really felt like something that I needed to speak about. I think historically I've also had to unpack my own internalized anti-Semitism and, mm. you know, just get comfortable with talking about it because I feel like oftentimes I in the past have just been in this place of, oh, well, there are so many other people who are facing, you know, oppression. Why? Like, I I don't even need to speak up about my own because it doesn't Mm. feel as, as maybe timely or maybe as important or as dangerous. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I grew up in a very Jewish community, not super religious by any means, Mm -hmm. but I was so consistently surrounded by Jewish people that I just assumed people knew and Mm. assumed that people had somewhat of a level of understanding. And even, you know, anti-Semitism is so insidious and that even a lot of Jewish people don't even necessarily know what it looks like. Mm. It, you know, has had the last 3000 years to evolve and find new ways to scapegoat us as like these 
evil conspirators who are trying to take over the world. And, you know, when Marjorie Taylor Greene and Donald Trump and Yay are talking about, you know, these ridiculous conspiracy theories and, and people kind of just look the other way or they don't even, they don't even realize that it's anti-Semitic. I think that's the real problem is, is people don't even know what to look for. So I hope that by talking about it and by standing, you know, as a proud Jewess that hopefully people will be able to see the reality and, and not the, you know, whatever people are saying about us. I, I appreciate that. And your willingness to put that forward, especially at a time that I'm sure is, is really scary to do so. Um, and I think it's pretty beautiful too, to marry that piece, you know, just one piece of your identity with all these other things, right? Like when you see that, that kind of like list of things that you want to share from your website and it's like environmentalist, vegan, Jewess. And it's just this like nice normalizing of all these things being like, this is one person. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and frankly, a lot of my reasoning, you know, a lot of the root of why I have been in a lot of social justice spaces is Mm -hmm. because I remember hearing my grandparents' Holocaust stories and thinking that, you know, if I was alive at the time and I were not Jewish or any other group that was targeted by the Nazis, there were many, um, I would want to be the type of person who didn't just stand by and accept that things were going on. I would want to use my voice, even if that meant annoying people or that meant you know, rubbing people the wrong way because at the end of the day, people's lives are at stake. And that has really kind of been a lot of my motivation for getting into this work. Mm. In in this work, do you mean environmentalism in, in kind of general or just activism? I would say both, but also largely within intersectional environmentalism. Obviously, I, um, you know, I am a co-founder of Intersectional Environmentalist. Um, our founder, Leah Thomas, um, created this organization that is just so beautiful and really honors and respects and acknowledges the ways that people with dif- with different intersecting identities approach the environment and, you know, have different relationships with the environment and how we really need to honor that and not, you know, have such focused myopic perspectives when it comes to environmentalism because Mm. when it comes to the planet I think it's so easy for people to just be like conservation animals biodiversity save the whales and it's like okay but also there are people in uh in Flint Michigan who still are not drinking clean water like still don't have access to clean water save the whales looks cuter on a t-shirt than like save each other Right, right. And I think that we historically have just been so afraid to talk about things that are deemed political when it's like, no, um, actually BIPOC or not should not be considered political. (laughs) Why is that a political conversation when people's lives are at stake or people's well-being? Mm -hmm. Um, Most recently at Pakistan and in Nigeria, there's been terrible, terrible flooding and people are dying and nobody's talking about it. So hopefully, um, you know, with this work that we're doing in in terms of education and, you know, promoting climate optimism and and sharing solutions that are out there, we can encourage people to keep talking about it and find new ways to talk about environmentalism in a way that isn't just so apolitical. Yeah. (laughs) Was it your interest in environmentalism or veganism? Like, which kind of domino fell into the other? So back the summer after my freshman year of college, I read this book called Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Fair. Yeah, that's a doozy. Yeah. So I remember reading it and I think definitely the most impactful part was talking about the fishing industry mm. and bycatch and how there's about five pounds of bycatch for every one pound of fish that was intended to be caught and all that bycatch is just thrown back into the ocean as just carcasses and just the fact that that is even a practice is so 
a wildly accepted practice. Yeah. 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 And no accountability for that. And all, you know, we're, we're seeing that there's going to be more plastic in the oceans than there are fish by, I want to say like 2030 or 2050 or something like that. Even the fact that it feels like it's soon. Yeah. Within our, you know, very much within our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really terrifying. And so I picked up that book, went vegetarian pretty soon after. And then a year later, I, on my one year vegetarian anniversary, I went vegan Mm. and um, have been vegan for the last seven years. And then a couple months after I went vegan, a friend and I were going to move in uh, together. This is, you know, now we're junior year of college. We were going to move in together for the semester and she had heard about this zero waste lifestyle. And she was like, let's try it out. And I was so skeptical. I was like, I don't even, what is this? So (laughs) we tried it out for a couple of months. After the initial habit changes, it ended up being a lot easier than it was at first. Yeah. Um, At least for, you know, for me being within whatever, having access to so many resources that I'm able to have fully recognized that I'm not able, not everyone has access to these resources, but I ended up really appreciating the lifestyle and and how it encouraged us to slow down and think really consciously and intentionally about what we wanted to support and how we wanted to spend our time, all that kind of stuff. So that it it all kind of accumulated around the same summer. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would say it was the veganism first and then the environmentalism. But I always, you know, growing up, I always kind of had an affinity towards sustainability. I remember when I grew up in Houston and okay. I remember um, when the city rolled out the recycling program and I was recycling all my family's pieces of paper. I was like, none of this is going to go to the trash. And that was always, you know, something that I was excited about. But, you know, only really in college is when I really tried to adopt habits and, and really take it on in a more intentional and thoughtful way. And was it at that time that you realized that you wanted to make this, you know, a career? I knew that it was my passion work. And in an ideal world, I would end up working at a place that really aligned with these passions. Um, I actually majored in advertising in college. Oh, wow. <laughs> Seems really interesting. And and frankly, when I was in college, I knew that I never really wanted to go into any sort of ad agency because it seemed really competitive and cutthroat and dog eat dog type mm-hmm. of environment, which is really not my vibe. Mm-hmm. I knew that I, if anything, wanted to go into like an in-house marketing team or work at a nonprofit, that kind of thing. But um advertising seems like the vein of capitalism, which in many ways it is, but also when you really break it down, you're just trying to reach an audience with your message. And whether that message is selling BMWs and Barbies, that's one thing. But if you want to promote the message of sustainability and environmentalism and reducing meat consumption, that's also like an opportunity to do that as well. Oh, absolutely. There are so many times when producing content, I'm thinking of it as like, is this marketable? I mean, is this piece of content marketable for better or for worse, I guess. But it is the idea of like, you're you're trying to sell this idea to and have people listen to that. So I think it's directly related. For sure. And it's really, if anything, it's just a medium, right? And so right. It can, it's a medium that can be exploited for bad but it can also be a medium that's exploited for good. And and we're seeing that with social media nowadays. Obviously, there's a ton of not great stuff on social media, but there's also a lot of beautiful community that you can build and a lot of inspiration that you can share and you know, motivation, empowerment, encouragement. And I don't know where I would be were it not for social media. So, you know, as, as terrible as it can be, it also has a silver lining, I would, I'd like to think. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Of course, we're both content creators and we're like, it's not all bad. (laughs) (laughs) But I I really do believe that, you know, like that that there's a lot of power. um, And I think we've seen that over the last few years as that has evolved, the the power of people and and what can happen through an online movement. I think a lot of people tend to really knock 
online digital activism in a way. Mm. And not to say that that is the only form of activism one should take or one can take. But when we say something like that, it also excludes people who have disabilities who might not be able to go to protests or might not be able to do all of the phone banking and, and all the other whatever traditional forms of activism one might have. So that's where intersectionality really comes into play and recognizes that like we all have an opportunity to use our voices. And as long as we're using our voice, then we should continue doing so no matter right. what we go through. Right. And I wanted, to, I was thinking too, as you were saying, marketing with, with some of the, the movements is sometimes I'm like, we need a marketing shift. <laughs> like we need a marketing shift in how we're talking about some of these things. And I don't know, I know that you have a similar approach in terms of like climate optimism and, and the way you approach these conversations. But I don't know how many Facebook groups I've had to leave now for being like attacked. I guess that's the other, the flip side of the coin, right? It's just sometimes I'm like, but guys, we're not marketing this well. I hear you but we're not marketing this like concept. Well, people are shutting down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and psychologically speaking, it makes a lot of sense because when you're faced with this huge, huge concept that how can one single person take that on? It's yeah. no wonder that so many people nowadays are facing eco anxiety. And I think I read statistics somewhere that said like, a third or half of all Gen Z people are feeling anxious about the future of the planet among, you know, among other generations as well. I'm, I'm a millennial. Well, I'm a zillennial, but <laughs> <laughs> now I feel like um, there's just a lot of that doom and gloom and it really sometimes can motivate people. But for the most part, I think people just kind of turn away because, because it is such a large concept it's so hard to even figure out what the first step is to take. So at least with IE, our you know nonprofit organization, we're really trying to flag that there we have all the solutions out there when it comes mm. to saving the planet. Literally, we have all of the solutions. We know exactly what we need to do. And we can do it tomorrow if we really wanted to. But governments and corporations and capitalism. Other capitalism, you know, white supremacy, colonialism, imperialism, all of the various forms of oppression, which are rooted in, I am entitled to X, Y, Z, whether that is resources, money, the planet, all of that stuff. And rather than working within a collective mindset and recognizing that the planet is the one thing we all have in common, there are people who are hoarding wealth, people who are hoarding power, and at the expense of human lives and non-human lives as well. So there definitely needs to be a shift. And, you know, we, and I'm going to keep talking about IE because. Well, that was, that was kind of what I wanted to know about more. So please tell, tell us about uh, intersectional environmentalism yes. more, the, the nonprofit, like how did that come to be? And, and what does that, what does that look like? Yeah. So our founder, Leah Thomas, um, back in June of 2020, created this Instagram post that ended up going viral. Yeah, it said environmentalists for Black Lives Matter, and it defined intersectional environmentalism. It had an, env an intersectional environmentalist pledge. And intersectional environmentalism wasn't necessarily a term that had been used as widely as it is nowadays, um, mm -hmm. you know, inspired by the work of Kimberly Crenshaw, who coined intersectional theory, who she herself was inspired by, the Cumbahee River Collective. Um, it is a framework that really encourages us to look at how our identities impact the way that we view the world and the way that the world views us. So with mm -hmm. intersectional environmentalists, we wanted to create a platform that you know, honors all of those different legacies. And I think there were a lot of people talking about how, oh, well, social justice doesn't hit my lane. I don't really have anything to say about this. But social justice is so interconnected with any single thing that you're passionate about, whether it's fashion, whether it's education, whether it's veganism, whether mm -hmm. it's, you know, any any number of things. So, um, so with 
Leah, our founder, myself, um, and then fellow co-founders, Deandra Mariset and Phil Aiken. We created a website and we created an Instagram page that started off just like talking about intersectional environmentalism and, and why it's something that people should care about. And it ended up blowing up. And two and a half years later, we are here at over 430,000 Instagram followers, which is incredible. Damn, we, um, damn. have a number of resources on our website. We create these really cool resource toolkits for people who want to take a deep dive on different topics. Obviously, we share a lot of information on our Instagram page that is accessible and understandable because we recognize that there's a lot of jargon in the world and it only mm. alienates people and we want everybody to be able to participate in these conversations. We also have a podcast called The Joy Report that is very very much rooted in climate optimism and storytelling and sharing solutions and sharing positive news stories. So that's one thing that we're really excited about. And then finally, this year we launched a um, brand new program called Earth Sessions, which are climate justice concerts for people and the planet. And we're really aiming to bring people together. There's so much beauty and gathering and community building and just finding out who your neighbors are. We found that a lot of the feedback we were hearing or, you know, questions that we were getting is like, how do I get involved? Where do I start? Right. Where do I start? Exactly. So with Earth Sessions, we hope to create these joyful, enjoyable spaces where you can, where you can connect with other environmentalists while also, you know, learning. We, we have an educational portion of each show. So usually that'll be an educational panel featuring a leader of a local organization um, sometimes we do book giveaways. Um, at our most recent concert, we gave away over 200 books to attendees about environmental justice and really just, you know, making learning and, you know, taking action exciting and encouraging people to connect again with those neighbors. And maybe even after Earth Sessions is out of the city where we host the show, people We'll get together with one another and volunteer at a local garden or get involved with the organization that we featured as part of the show. And so I think with all of these different opportunities um, through digital spaces, through, you know, audio, through our podcast, through Earth Sessions, we're really trying to meet people where they're at. And, you know, we need as many voices as possible if we want a chance at a habitable future. I love all the different lanes that you are working to, to intrigue people really, you know, like to have it's marketing <laughs> back to it, to interest different people. I'm wondering if this is something you see growing into an organization that would have like chapters or something. Cause I'm thinking as you're describing this, I'm like, oh man, I wish I could like run something like that in my small town in Minnesota you know, like a chapter of that or something. Something that we've definitely spoken about in the past. I think we just don't have a large enough team to really manage something like that right now. But a lot of people have mentioned mm -hmm. interest. And we've even heard of people who are encouraging their colleges to change their curriculums. And, you know, people are using our resources in their school courses, all that kind of stuff. So that is always really exciting to hear. I think Again, something that we have considered, but right now, because we're such a small team and we're only, you know, two and a half years in, we still have a whole future ahead of us. It's definitely not off the table, but yeah, to be determined. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that would be really great in terms of local organizing. Yeah, we also know um, and, and where possible, try to support and amplify the grassroots organizations and local groups that are already doing all the work. Um, I think one of the questions we had with creating our own chapters is we don't want to necessarily step on those local organizations who are already doing really great work. So if any, at least for the time mm -hmm. being, until we make a decision, if that's something that we want to do, we can always encourage people to get involved in those local organizations. I'm based in Brooklyn. And a great example of a local organization is the No North Brooklyn Pipeline. Um, group. There is actively a fracked pipeline being built in Brooklyn in black and brown communities. And um, rather than like us currently having like an IE chapter, we 
can always encourage people to connect with those local organizations like the No North Brooklyn Pipeline um, group. So I think, yeah, it's in the works potentially, but for now, there's so many incredible organizations out there that like are already doing all the great work. This podcast is supported by North. North's mission is to provide unique and innovative cannabis products to help bring peace, calm, and healthy alternatives to their consumers. All of their products have been meticulously designed and formulated by co-founders Brandon and Mike to ensure that their customers receive nothing but the highest quality. Currently, they offer three product lines, Vibes, a THC CBD seltzer, gummies, THC gummies, and fusions, a CBD wellness beverage. I'm a huge fan of the THC CBD seltzer. My current favorite flavor, blackberry mango. Use code CARLY15 to get 15% off your order at drinkthenorth.com. That's C-A-R-L-Y-1-5, or hit the link in the show notes. Enjoy drinking the North. This podcast is supported by Parade Underwear. Parade believes that the materials that touch your skin should be as comfortable as possible wherever life takes you. That's why their styles come in a large range of fabrics, from seamless universal that disappears under clothes to cozy waffles plush comfort that keep you comfy on every occasion. Parade understands that everyone deserves to express themselves however they choose, because we're all unique. And Parade knows that there's no parade without our planet. They strive to make all of their products from reclaimed, recycled, responsible, renewable, or regenerative materials. This is really a win-win-win. I love Parade. I've been wearing them for a while now, and I can't recommend them enough. And of course, we love the mission. Use code consciously.carly for 20% off your first order. That's C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S-L-Y dot C-A-R-L-Y, consciously.carly. Enjoy your new undies. Right. Yeah, that's really important, too, because sometimes within the movement, it gets so fractured when everyone thinks they have the solution. Um, And then there can be a lot of groups trying to accomplish the same goal and maybe don't even know it. Yeah, I think building coalition is something that we have really wanted to do since the very beginning. And and we are definitely, as we continue on, just connecting with more organizations in so many different realms, whether that is within climate storytelling or artivism, Mm. mining art and activism, whether that's local grassroots organizing, whether that is, you know, local gardens and urban farms and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's really nice to be able to amplify one another because at the end of the day, we're all working towards the same goal and we shouldn't be so disjointed as many, you know, a lot of the, a lot of different movements have been in the past. That's what intersectional environmentalism is all about is recognizing that we all are so interconnected and we, we should really work together in order for us to amplify our message. Yeah, absolutely. So we, you and I have both kind of said this phrase of where to start, um, that it's something that we obviously both hear frequently or see frequently where it's like, okay, you've got someone maybe that comes to one of these earth sessions. They're like, my mind is completely blown apart. I get it. I want to be involved. If someone says to you, where do I start? Uh, maybe that's an individual level. Maybe that's a more community, political level, whatever it is. Where do you kind of tell people? What do you advise if someone actually does ask you like, oh shit, now what? Yeah, we really always want to encourage people to use their skills and the things that they're passionate about and combine those two. So if you're the type of person who loves to get their hands dirty, go volunteer at an urban garden. If you're the type of person who's obsessed with compost, go volunteer at like a compost drop-off. Um, you know, if if you're the type of person who likes to share stories or likes to make friends or network or talk to people, um, go to like an environmental event or go to, mm-hmm. you know, a meeting for one of these like grassroots organizations and just like start talking to people. If you're the type of person who likes to hop on the phone and talk to people, do phone banking for uh, your local election. It's really about mm. finding what you enjoy doing and doing it rather than forcing yourself into these boxes. I personally love going to a protest, but I know not everybody likes going to protests. I would never 
encourage somebody to do that who wasn't passionate about it. So finding whatever it is that you're passionate about and doing that is what I would always encourage. I love that you specifically said, encourage someone to use the skills they already have because it becomes so much less intimidating when you're saying like, okay, so what, what lights you up? What do you do already that can be directly translated into making a difference is so much less intimidating as a starting point than have, you know, telling someone like, okay, you have to learn X, Y, Z to be an environmentalist. And that's how, you know, you don't have this skill yet. I love that. Yeah. I think that people get, like you just said, people get really intimidated and it's hard, especially if you're so new starting out in this space and you don't have a bunch of friends who are already in this space, knowing where to start. It's not, it's not always a Google away. And so sometimes it is and finding, you know, the Facebook groups or finding a local environmental justice issues in your neighborhood or in your area um, is a Google away. So if right. you are listening to this and you don't know where to start, then just search like local environmental justice issues um, in your neighborhood. We as individuals have so much more power when it comes to local issues. Um, and, you know, you can encourage your friends to come to events or, you know, listen or, you know, go to a city hall meeting, a town hall meeting and and use your voice there. I think we often see these really huge issues and you know, as individuals think that it's so hard to to do anything that's impactful, but in your local community, your your voice goes so much farther. And we need people who are active within every single community. And if we had one person within every family or one person within every friend group who was taking action, imagine the impact that we could have on all those individuals in our lives. Right. I think we often knock um individual action for many reasons, but we also forget the ripple effect that we tend to have, um, even, you know, in doing our own thing, not necessarily forcing others to do it when, when people see that you're doing it and you're doing it happily and successfully and passionately and other people see that and say, oh, you know, there's one thing that I can do for the planet or one thing that I can do for animals that, you know, can make an impact. Um, that becomes that much more powerful. And rather than shaming people into changing, you're empowering them into change. And and I think that's really great. Shaming people versus empowering people to change. That's a good distinction to make because I've talked about this on the pod before, but I definitely went through like a very cliche, angry vegan phase. And (laughs) we all do. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Thank you for your validation. Um, And I just was like, no one's listening to me. I have the solution. This is crazy. We've been lied to our whole lives. You should listen to me. Turns out that wasn't the cutest way to get people in my life to uh, get on board. And as I evolved through that and backed down a little bit and kind of really took some self-assessment with that approach, I had more people reaching out to me on their own to talk about going vegan or people in my family who like, there are some people who eat more vegan now because of that, but it didn't happen until I like shut up a little bit, <laughs> you know, it with the the shaming that I didn't even totally understand that I was doing because I thought I was like saving the world. I was right there with you. <laughs> you are not alone, um, but thank you very quickly learned that shaming people is never going to do anything. And in fact, it's probably going to do the opposite. And so you know, you can keep fighting and keep trying and, and keep doing that, but it fundamentally goes against, you know, what, how, how humans are and, you know, meeting people where they're at. I think that's the most important is, you know, not everybody has all this knowledge yet or has the ability or has the interest in, in wanting to change and upheave their entire lifestyle. Yeah. And I think that is one thing that since the very beginning of sustainable SATs, I've been really trying to remember and root myself in is the ripple effect and empowering and inspiring change versus forcing it because forcing change, maybe four or five, 10 people will change. But when you inspire somebody to make changes on their own and they do that and they're like, whoa, that was like 
pretty easy. And I feel really yeah. good about doing that. And I did that on my own. Then maybe there's another step that they'll take, or maybe they'll talk to a friend about it, or maybe they'll make sure that they're voting in local elections or, you know, whatever it is that they can do to take action. And that ends up becoming so much more powerful, even though, you know, you think that like forcing it and, and, you know, talking to people about it all the time is going to make change happen. Sometimes it just, you need to let go and you need to not hold so tightly onto this idea of controlling other people and, you know, just letting things fall where they're, where they may. And and there's going to be plenty of people who are not going to want to do anything, but there is that cohort of people who are going to take it upon themselves to make change. And even with mm-hmm. my own family, um, they, you know, I want to say like a couple years ago or something, they, uh, every time they went to a restaurant, they would say, no, no plastic straw, please. And so now every time they go to a restaurant, they always say no straw. And that wasn't me forcing them to do anything. That was me. When I went out to eat with them, I would ask for myself, no straw. And they would be like, Hey, yeah, actually I don't need a straw either. And even when I'm not eating with them now, they still ask for no straw. So that always feels like a little as as small as it may be, it still feels like a little win to me. Because it's making someone think differently. It's it's a helping us all to evolve on things that we weren't generally taught because you know you're not you're not uh taught to be sustainable in a capitalist system. <laughs> you know, like that's not the default, turns out. Mm-hmm. And so even those small things, which in the beginning I remember I, I was, I was just my obsession with being like a perfect vegan and perfect environmentalist was out of control, uh, for a short time. And I remember going to the bar and forgetting to not ask for a straw and getting a straw. And I almost cried. I was like, I, I have failed. This is it. (laughs) I am, I am a fraud. And now I say it out loud and I'm just like, Jesus, oh boy. But at the time I just felt, I felt terrible. I was like, this is this. I can't, I can't even, I can't post online about caring about the environment. I have a straw in my drink. So Mm -hmm. dramatic. Mm -hmm. Um, and that took a bit to get through. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I will never forget (laughs) the story I have of my dad was visiting. Well, my parents were visiting me when I was still a student in Boston and there was a bakery next door And my dad brought a loaf back from the bakery and a paper bag. And I was like, why didn't you bring a reusable bag? (laughs) I was so upset. Oh my God. That was so embarrassing when I think back on it. But um, obviously we live and we learn. Yep. Have learned a lot. You see the articles about how there were airplanes flying during 2020 that had no passengers that just like needed to fly for whatever reason. And then I'm like, okay, yeah. Um, the waiter who put a straw in my <laughs> my <laughs> cup accidentally is probably not as bad as I think it, it actually is. Yeah. Again, individual action. I'm never going to knock it, but it's important to also look at the bigger picture. Right. And know that those those little moments aren't world ending. It's important or because you're just going to burn out. It's not going to be enjoyable at all. For sure. For sure. So one of the things you post about a lot on Instagram, which I adore, is fashion and fashion inspiration. Um, Has that always been something that's important to you that that you've had fun with? Or is that, you know, where did that come from? Because I love your videos about your outfits for the day or sustainable fashion. Like, they're so fun. Thank you. (laughs) Mm, They're Um, so fun. (laughs) I, so back in... I'm going to say maybe I was 16, maybe when I was 17. Um, I went to visit my grandparents' house in Paris. And Mm. um, my grandmother has always been a hoarder. (laughs) And the house that I'm in was the house that my mom grew up in. My aunt and uncle also grew up in. And my grandmother never threw any of their clothes away. So it's this, you know, two-story house on the outskirts of Paris with just at least eight or nine or 10 closets worth of clothing. And, and my grandma also worked at a lot of fashion stores. 
um, in Paris when she was younger. And so, oh my gosh, what a shopping experience <laughs> to go through that house. Let me tell you, it was oh. always, anytime I visited, I would like bring half a luggage. Um, yes. have empty luggage so that I could just like take things back. Obviously, you know, all honoring the clothes that she has, but, um, she had so much. And, um, and so like over the years, obviously I'm so grateful that I could have clothing that I didn't have to pay for, but mm-hmm. after a while I, I, in thinking about it a lot more, I really started to recognize that, Hey, there's a lot of meaning behind being able to wear all of these clothes that, you know, my grandma has. And, some of it is my aunts, some of it is my mom, some of it's my grandpa's. But um, yeah, I think that kind of, that is kind of where my probably style inspiration came mm-hmm. from. Um, and then, yeah, just I think on social media in the last couple of years, ever since Instagram started framing itself as a shopping platform versus just a social media platform. Yeah. I am just so annoyed with all the hauls and all the Shein and all the Zara and all the H&M. I just can't. Yeah, it's it's really a lot. And I have really don't see many content creators who are just like actively re-wearing their clothing and proudly re-wearing their clothing. I definitely do see some, but it's definitely not the mainstream by any means. And so in making more fashion videos and and talking more about sustainable fashion, because fashion in and of itself is, I think, one of the first intersectional environmentalist issues that I really resonated with or really started Mm. to deep dive into. Because when you look at sustainable fashion, it can't just be that it's using organic cotton. Like if workers who are making it are making two cents a piece of clothing. Um, Or if that organic cotton shirt is, you know, $150 a shirt. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, really recognizing that there are so many different issues at play when it comes to the fashion industry and the fashion movement and knowing that like I can talk about it and, and discourage people from not even discourage people from shopping at certain places because I want to recognize that like not everybody is able to buy sustainable fashion all the time, but even just recognizing that we need to shop a lot less. Like we need to shop so much less and we need to shop a lot more secondhand. Mm -hmm. So hopefully in talking about it more and in showing people that I wear, rewear my clothes all the time. Like I have this one skirt that like Everybody and their mother has seen it at this point, and I'm never going to stop wearing it because I love it so much. But like, I remember on my feed, like there were four images of me in a row of me like wearing that sport. And I'm, you know, sometimes I, I'm like, is this weird? Are people getting bored? But also, I'm like, no, we need more people doing this. I'm just a normal human wearing my clothes. I I really love it. It has inspired me. I don't do as many videos with, you know, kind of like old outfit of the day, but you've inspired me to do that more. Cause I similarly was just starting to be like, I'm wearing my favorites like again and again and again here. And, and it being a content creator at first, that was like, I was like, shit, I just wore this shirt in the reel I did the other day or whatever. Um, now I'm like, yeah, this is the same shirt. I picked this up off the floor this morning. <laughs> like that is just, that is just how it goes. I have three wedding dresses that I rotate between for every wedding for the last four or five years now. And I'm like, everyone has seen all of them. <laughs> and that's just, that's just part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I have a cousin's wedding coming up, uh, in December and for the, rehearsal dinner or my aunt's dress aunt who is the mother of the cousin who's getting married oh wearing that for the um rehearsal not reception wearing that for the rehearsal dinner so vintage and then for the actual wedding it's like a black tie event so I'm wearing my prom dress um which is very exciting (laughs) um but also like you know I wore it once why I, and you know spent a lot of money on it why am I just going to let it sit in the closet hell yeah so that's you know amazing. nobody's seen it in nine years so I had a bunch of dresses from homecomings and proms 
collected for a few years and I realized that they had just been sitting there and my, I'm actually living back in my hometown and the high school I went to started this program where they, you know, take donated dresses or suits or formal wear, and then kids can rent them out to use them for the night. So they don't have to buy anything, which I love. So I was like, Oh yes, take my dresses. Here you go. Now I feel like they're going somewhere. And I'm like, why didn't I keep one though? (laughs) I'm like kicking my, I usually I get rid of shit and I'm like, feel so much better. This is one of the only times I've kicked myself a little bit. Like, why did I get rid of my senior dress though? That would have been great in like the Halloween bucket or Mm -hmm. the formal wear Mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll sneak in and get it back. You, yes. Oh, has nobody like taken it for forever? Cause I feel like if somebody. No, it's just, it's just hanging there still. I saw it when I was teaching yoga at the school last year, I was like, oh, that's my, that's, my, that's my prom dress. I kind of want, want it back, but that feels superficial. I mean, maybe if you made a donation to the organization who's doing that and then you took it back, that probably would be okay. And also knowing that there are so many people who have been able to wear it during the time that yes. you're not like actively wearing the dress. Yes. Yes. Maybe hearing you makes me want it even more. So I'm going to have to contemplate that. (laughs) I'm excited. I'm hoping you'll do videos or there'll be, there'll be content. I'm excited to see the prom dress. I definitely will. And actually it's a real bummer because on prom night, I, there was a flash flood. (laughs) And so I didn't actually get to take any photos. And I remember going to prom um the streets were flooding so I had to like drive to the local Home Depot (laughs) to get picked up by my prom date and I went to my prom in rain boots obviously I had heels to change into but these purple lilac rain boots Um, oh wow so this is like a real redemption story for this dress it is (laughs) I'm very excited for it I'm so excited to see it I love that yeah I really love that um, so given all of the amazing work that you do and the the content you create, the things you're involved in, it's all truly amazing and inspiring. And I'm really glad to have people like you to kind of like inspire the rest of us trying to do the same. But I'm curious, how do you take care of yourself with all of that? A beautiful question. Um, yeah. And I just want to frame it too, that that this is not coming from someone who's like, I've got it figured out. Like (laughs) I definitely don't, I don't really don't have this perfected, but I'm curious. Yeah. I, I have been getting a lot, a lot better at setting boundaries. Um, I think I overextend myself too much and that has been, (laughs) that has been. a forever issue of mine and um, just not even like vocally necessarily, but making sure that I am building in more sad stays into my career Mm. because I will just overbook myself and I will have, you know, I'll see four different friends on a weekend when it's like, wait, I wanted to, I wanted to have a day to myself. So establishing those boundaries, setting some sad stays aside, um, remembering to slow down because I think Mm. that we often operate with urgency Mm. and at times that we don't really need to be operating with such urgency and, you know, going to the farmer's market, moving my body, eating the rainbow, staying hydrated, Mm. getting sleep and spending time with my friends and, you know, calling my loved ones, um, eating good food. That's how I take care of myself. Really beautiful. Did you have anything else to share with listeners that I didn't give you space to do so? Um, I wanted to ask how you've been taking care of yourself. Ooh, get turned on the interviewer. Um, (laughs) it's, it's funny. I, I genuinely do relate to what you're saying about overextending yourself and learning to set boundaries because that is something I have also historically always really maxed myself out. And it's been like, I'm a conscious living coach, but I'm running around like a crazy person. Um, and that has been something I've been, the phrase practice, what I preach has been in my mind a lot lately. So I actually just backed off of one, potentially two volunteer groups I'm a part of that I love. And it was really hard. They're doing good work in the community, but I'm also part of like three others. So I just was like, where can I cut some here? I've been 
trying to be more intentional about actually putting it in my calendar, like time for me, mm-hmm. like seeing that on my calendar and then nobody can book a Calendly appointment around it or no one can do this. And I'm like, oh, guess I have a date with me. Can't cancel that. So like I need visual cues to remind myself to chill the hell out really. So drawing better boundaries and giving myself more allotted time. I live and die by my Gmail calendar. I hate to admit it, but if it's already in there, then I'm much more likely to live by it. Mm-hmm. I'm also, you know, love the, love the Cal invites. Um, yes. yes. So, <laughs> so nice. And definitely um, the, the same foundational things I'm, you know, in Minnesota. So we're transitioning to winter pretty aggressively right now. And the season changes hard. And I think in summer, I'm just like, it's so much easier to be like, everything's great. It's beautiful. I live in this beautiful place in Northern Minnesota. And then winter hits and I'm like, oh yeah, I have to be a little bit more intentional with my habits. I do have to make sure I'm drinking enough water. I do have to make sure I'm moving my body really intentionally because I'm not necessarily just like out with friends more because it's cold. So getting back into some of the foundational habits during this season is going to be important. And I'm kind of in the midst of figuring that out. Thanks for asking. Of course. Um, You did ask if there's anything else I wanted to say. And I did want to just plug IE real quick. Yeah, please. We're at Intersectional Environmentalist on Instagram. Um, Check out Earth Sessions at earthsessions.ie on Instagram. Check out the Joy Report. Earth Sessions have its own Instagram. Okay, I'll have to check that out. That too, that too, yes. Um, We have the Joy Report on Spotify and Apple, um, or just check out our website, intersectionalenvironmentalist.com. And then for me personally, I'm at Mm -hmm. Sustainable Savs on Instagram, uh, Sustainable Savs on YouTube, and sustainablesavs.com. Perfect. I know people will want to connect with you. I really enjoyed chatting. I hope we can continue to connect in the future and maybe collaborate in fun ways. I love finding other content creators that I I vibe with. So I appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It's been so nice chatting and um, I'm glad that you're finding new ways to take care of yourself. Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, share with your friends, put it on social media. Don't forget to tag me. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, leave a review. Reviews and shares help more people to see the podcast and join in on the fun. If you want to make sure to stay up to date on future episodes, follow me at Consciously Carly on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or Pinterest, and head to consciouslycarly.com to sign up for the newsletter. Ready for more Conscious Living content? Check out patreon.com slash consciouslycarly and join the exclusive community over there. And finally, if you're ready to take better care of yourself and the world, let's work together. Click the link in the show notes to head to the website, find out more, and schedule a free discovery call with me. Chat soon. This podcast is supported by Will's Vegan Store. Will's Vegan Store has been a vegan company at the front of vegan clothing and sustainable fashion since they launched in 2013 by their founder, Will Green. They produce the most beautiful, vegan, sustainably made shoes, clothing, and accessories. I have been obsessed with this brand for years now. They were one of the first vegan brands that I really made the switch to. It can be hard to thrift shoes But I love knowing that if I'm going to purchase a pair of shoes from Will's Vegan Store, they are going to be ethically made, their workers are protected, they don't use plastic packaging, they're delivered in an environmentally friendly way. It's truly the most amazing company to support. So if you're ready to try them yourself, hit the link in the show notes so they know that I sent you.